Amen. Yeah, it was really good. It was Amen. Amen. a wonderful time during wow. a Bible study. Uh, we thank Fred for being the catalyst for a lot of the Bible studies we have here. And, uh, it's nice to have multiple voices get involved because when everything comes from one direction, a lot of times you get to start to hear only one perspective or one idea of things. And one of the one of the things about us as Christians is that we are all priests. We, this is a nation of priests. We all can read the Bible for ourselves and see the truths that are in there. So just because one person doesn't see something quite the way or the other, it's up to God Amen. as to whether who sees it correctly. So they're allowed to have disputes on things. The only essentials are the cross, Christ crucified, and the resurrection. If you believe that, everything else we can have differences of opinion on. But that's the only core essential that really yeah. needs to maintain. Yeah. And as long as everybody agrees on that, we can sit here and discuss all kinds. We can discuss what the Bible says. If somebody doesn't agree, somebody I don't agree, tell me why. And if you have a good opinion, you might sway me. Because if if you've thought it out. Now, if it's just an emotional reaction, chances are no. But, you know, it, when it comes down to it, we all can read the Bible. We all have access to the same book. We all have access to the same spirit. We all have all access to Christ equally. Nobody's better than anybody else. Matter of fact, um, I love the fact that people, oh, pastor, that's such a great. Pastor means servant. So that means you're being elevated to a position of being underneath the rest of the people. So figure that one out. So, so my sermon today is a series I'm going to start. It's called Misunderstandings. I don't know if you realized on the sign today as you were coming in what the sign says, but uh, it um, could very easily be interpreted as a misunderstanding. It says, we love hurting people Sundays at 11. Yes, we do. <laughs> love those hurting people. So this is a series of misunderstandings, and it's not all the same type, because misunderstandings happen in different ways. Misunderstandings happen from everything from, you know, using language different. You say something, and maybe you forget a comma or an apostrophe or something or a period, and the sentence means something totally different. Other times, it can be just that Someone's told you, explained something to you from a certain perspective, or maybe, you know, you came in with a certain bias, and so you read it with a certain bias. When it comes to the misunderstanding we're going to talk today, it actually comes in three different forms. And today we're going to be discussing the Samaritan woman, Jesus Christ and the Samaritan woman. As a backstory for this uh, on Samaria, Samaria is the northern kingdom of Israel. It's so named because after the kingdom split with Judah in the south and Israel in the north, the capital of the northern kingdom became Sumar. So it became Samaria after they got dispersed. The Samarians are basically, they're part Jewish and they're part other ethnicities. So for that purpose, they're considered like dogs to the Jewish people. They say, well, they're not. They're half-breeds. And that happened because back in the day when Assyria was trying to take over, Assyria had this, it's a pretty ingenious idea. And that was, once you take over land, 
if you take half the population and you move them somewhere else where they're not familiar with the area, they won't rebel against you because they don't know what they're doing. So they'll stay in subjection. So, because like if you leave people in their area, like imagine if Canada was like, we're taking over Ohio. We know Ohio better than the Canadians do. We would just go hide in bogs and do things. And when they come by, we'd snipe them off. I mean, they, they wouldn't stand a chance for us in Ohio. We know Ohio. We know the mountains and the hills and everything. But imagine if instead of that, if they said they just came down a little bit and they fought a battle just long enough so that they could take the population of Cleveland and move them up to, you know, Alberta or something. Now those people up in Alberta, they don't know anything about the territory. They don't know how to live in that area. So what happens? They become reliant on the population around them. So they become subjective. They, 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 they become subjects to the people around them. Likewise, they would take people from Alberta and put them in Cleveland. Well, those people don't know how to live in Cleveland now because they don't know the area. And especially back when farming was the number one way that people lived, you don't know, I mean, different areas farm differently. You know, you can't grow uh, green beans in the same soil, on different soils necessarily and get the same beans. You can't grow different types of crops. You have to know what the area is. So it was a good way of keeping them in subjection. So what they did was they took part of the, when they took over the Northern Kingdom, they took part of the population, sent them around the world, and put new populations in. So basically Sumeria started to become this mix of pagan and Jewish. And so even to this day, there's, the Sumerians have their own form of Judaism, which they claim, well, this is the true Judaism. But if you look at it, it's, it's a modified. They, they took some of the surrounding cultic practices and kind of put them all together to get this form of Judaism they have. So the Samaritans were considered like dogs, like they're half-breeds, they're, they're not worth us. They built their own temple in uh, Mount Gizarim, and that was considered an abomination because there can only be a temple in Zion, also known as Jerusalem, all kinds of stuff. So we have this backstory where the Jewish people hated the Samaritans, literally to the point that even though Samaria basically took up what we think of today as the modern-day West Bank, where the Palestinians live, this huge chunk of land, if, you were head, if the Jewish person was headed from the south to the north, they would take a trip all the way around so they never stepped foot in Samaritan soil. And we're talking they would add three days to their journey just to avoid ever stepping foot on the land of the Samaritans. That's how much of a, a bias there was against these people. So when we read John 1 and 4, and we're going to start in the first verse, and we're going to read quite a bit at first. I'm going to read the whole story so we can see the whole story in its entirety. And then we're going to go back over it and see what happens. So chapter 4, starting in the first verse, says, When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples. Meaning Jesus never put anybody in water, only his disciples did. He left Judea and departed, he being Jesus, departed again into Galilee. And he, and he must needs, by necessity, go through Samaria. Meaning he could have went around, but he actually chose to go through Samaria. Then comes he to a city of Samaria, 
which is called Sikar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave his son Joseph. Now Jacob, now Jacob's well was there. There's actually, this is, by the way, it doesn't mention it directly in the Old Testament that Jacob built a well, but it's mentioned a lot after the Old Testament that I guess Jacob burrowed down through rock, like hard rock, and actually got this well going. And this well to this very day actually still gives water to the people in the area. Today in modern day over in Palestine, in the Palestinian lands, it's called Neblis, which I actually know somebody who lives in Neblis, uh, interestingly. And um, that, that to this day, you could throw a, a bucket down and get water out of it. It literally still has water in that well, even though it's 3, 000, over 3,000 years old. So this was a well that watered the people and kept crops growing for thousands of years. <clears throat> now, six, uh, verse 6 says, Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour, which is noon time. There comes a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus says to her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away to the city to buy meat. Then, G- then says the woman of Samaria to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. So by the way, if you notice... There's two ways she can tell that he's Jewish and she's Samaritan. One is they have a different complexion than each other. The Samaritans were lighter skinned than the Jewish people at the time. And they spoke different forms of Hebrew Aramaic. So it would be like someone from the north in, you know, like say Boston going down to somebody in Texas, you know, and the person in Texas is going to know right away, you ain't from around here, boy. So he starts speaking, and she immediately goes, well, I know who this is. So just uh, another point that, you know, this, again, we're talking about this is race relations. This is, you know, dealing a bunch of things are tied up in here when you see what's being said. So she says, you know, they have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, give me to drink, You would have asked of him, and he would have given you living water. The woman says to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From where then have you that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well, and drank therefore himself and his children and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, Whosoever drinks of this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him, shall be in him a well of water springing up into eternal life, everlasting life. The woman says to him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come here to draw. Jesus says to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and he whom you have now have is not your husband in that said you in that said you truly the woman says to him sir i perceive that you are a prophet our fathers worshiped in this mountain and you say that in jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship 
Jesus says to her, Woman, believe me, the hour comes when you shall neither in this mountain nor yet in Jerusalem worship the Father. The worship you know not, you worship what you know not. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour comes, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman says to him, I know that Messiah comes, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus says to her, I that spake to you am he. And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, What seek you? And why talk you with her? The woman then left her water pot and went away into the city and says to the men, Come, see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said to them, I have meat to eat that you know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Has any man brought him anything to eat? Jesus saith to them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. Say not you, there, say not thee, there are yet four months, and then comes the harvest. So they're just saying this is in the springtime. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And he that reaps receives wages and gathers fruit to life eternal, that both he that sows and he that reaps may rejoice together. And therein is that saying true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that whereon you bestowed no labor. Other men labored, and you are entered into their laborers. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified. He told me that all the fat I ever did. So when the Samaritans were come to him, they besought him that he would tarry with them and abode, and he abode there two days. And many more believed because of his own words and said to the woman, now we believe not because of your saying, for we have heard him ourselves and know that this indeed is indeed the Christ, the savior of the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the time together. We thank you for the reading of your word that you give us a such a clear picture of the way your kingdom works and the way you love and have no respect for persons but give to everyone liberally. We ask that you will guide and direct my words and soften the hearts and the ears that they will land directly where they need to. That you'll be with everyone here as we listen and we receive something from your word. We ask for all these things in your holy and precious name, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, the thing that we're going to look in is there's three misunderstandings that people generally look at when they read the Bible in general and this story in general. The first one 
is that Jesus is okay with the woman's sinful life. A lot of people will point out that he never says to her, don't sin. He never says to her, you sinful woman, you've been with five people, now you're living with someone you're not married to. doesn't say any of that. He just says, she said, and interestingly enough, he actually congratulates her for telling the truth. Because he says, go get your husband. She didn't go and get the guy that she was living with and say, this is my husband. She didn't say, she just says, I have no husband. And the terminology is not, I've never had a husband. It's, I don't have one. And she's saying, I don't have one now. And Jesus says, and we look in the 16th verse on there. Jesus uh, says to her, go and call your husband. She says, you know, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have said, well said. Meaning, you tell the truth. The 17th, I have no husband. And then he, but then, he's not okay with it. He tells her her sin. He says, you have had five husbands, and he whom you now have is not your husband. And that you said truly. So he actually congratulates her on the fact that she's being honest. She just, now she's, some would argue she's being, she's omitting a little bit. But she's being honest about what's going on. The thing is, is Jesus is not okay with the sin. Because what is he, what is Jesus say in various other parts? He says, I come to call everyone to repentance. Everyone. The, the priests, the lead, everyone to repentance. So he clearly feels that everyone has sinned. This is a tactic with the woman. He's being soft with her. He's being gentle so that he can get himself away in, so that he can say to her the things that need to be said. This is not Christ okaying the sin. This is showing us how we should be when approaching a sinful world. It's... Again, the gospel is already offensive enough to say you're not good enough to get to heaven. That's an offensive thing because there are some good people out there that try to do their best. It's not good enough. That's offensive already. Now, do we really need to sit there and walk up to him and say, hey, Fred, by the way, you cursed a lot when you were younger. Or do we say, Jesus wants to give you a new future. He wants to take you where you are and send you places you never thought you'd be. That's a tactic. That is a soft way to deal with somebody. And especially in this culture where the Jews were generally mean and vile towards the Samaritans, openly calling them all kinds of derogatory terms. And then on top of that, this is a think about this. This is a woman going to a well. Now, she does it in the middle of the day, which is not often, meaning she was shunned by the rest of the people. The other women wouldn't let her go with them. Because normally they would go just before the sun came up or just after the sun was setting in the evening. So she's going in the heat of the day, meaning she's not allowed to go with the other. She's an outcast. But this is a woman in a time where women were not treated exactly well. And this is a man sitting there. This could be an opportunity to take advantage of her. This could be an opportunity to do any of a number of things, just harassing her, but it could be a lot worse. He's making sure that he doesn't say anything to put her on guard. He's trying to take down her guard, make her sure she knows that he cares and that he loves her soul so that she doesn't put up a guard and a fence to stop what he's about to say. 
which we all have guards. We all have things. There are people you can approach them the most nicest way you possibly can, and they're still going to put up their guard. They still have a history. They still have a past. Maybe, you know, again, maybe the worst thing, some women have had terrible relationships. Worst thing that could happen is a man come to them to try and talk to them about something. They need a woman to come to them and try and talk to them. In this instance, obviously, she was bold enough to approach him, so that's not the case, but Christ wanted to deal softly with her. Christ deals with people according to their ability. To Peter, who was a man's man, strong, to be a fisherman and to be, it was tough work. I mean, he was, Peter was probably the, a man's man. And what did he, he dealt sharply with Peter. When Peter said something, he straight up called him Satan. Satan, get behind me when he's talking to Peter. Why? Because he knew Peter could handle it. When he's talking to John, when John was young, what did he do? He took him because he knew he was a young boy. He caught, put his hand on his head and, hey, how's it going, buddy? He dealt gently with him. When talking with various women, he deals with them according to how they are. There's another instance where Jesus talks to a Samaritan woman. And with her, he's a little more, a little more coy. He's a little, he jabs with her a little bit. He makes some sarcastic comments. She makes some sarcastic comments back. They kind of go back and forth. In this case, he's changing the way he speaks so that he can find her heart, so that he can work and get to her heart, so that she can hear the message he has. The worst thing, the thing that bothers me the most, I don't have a problem with people who street preach. I think, great, go out there and street preach. Thing that bothers me the most with that though is usually they're not preaching. They're just sitting out there and yelling out a list of grievances. That's not preaching. Who's that gonna get saved? Nobody. What's that do? It makes you look stupid. It makes the gospel look stupid. When you can't take the time to care what somebody is dealing with in their lifetime, it makes the gospel look callous, cold, and worthless. A gospel that can't touch your heart is a gospel that isn't a gospel at all. A gospel that doesn't care about people is no gospel at all. Because Jesus cared about the people he was dealing with. He would, You know that because he wouldn't have dealt differently with different people if he didn't. We, as people, need to understand God, Christ is not okay with the sin. He's overlooking it because he's using that as a tactic to open her heart to something. The second thing we were going to look at that is a misconception is that the Bible in general, it's a sexist book. It's a sexist book. Women are treated, that's true, women are treated differently in the Bible. Just because something is in the Bible doesn't mean that's how God wants it to be. Just because God, the Bible mentions, Hannah was one of two wives that her husband had, doesn't mean God is saying he wanted Hannah husband to marry two women. That's not God's perfect idea. If that was God's perfect idea, there wouldn't have been just Eve in the garden. But instead, it's giving you an accurate portrayal of what was going on at the time. But I want to point out, when Jesus is going to do something miraculous, something that just literally spells out who he is, he always does it in the presence of a woman whether it's healing the Samaritan woman's child 
And then he tells the disciples, you see this woman? This is the type of faith you need to have. He told his disciples that. This is what you need to be like, pointing at a Samaritan woman. In this case, he told the disciples to go away so that he could deal with her. And when they came back, they were astonished at what he was doing. Jesus uses women because he, I think honestly, personally, he uses that intuition that a lot of women have to where that it's sort of like, if she's okay with it, I think I can be okay with it, a sort of thing. It sort of breaks down that mold. Sometimes a guy's not willing to listen to what you have to say, but when his wife is kind of open to it, he kind of gives it another ear because, you know, maybe she's maybe she hears something I don't. There's a lot of times in the Bible something is said, and it's not until a woman is involved that the clarity of the situation gets brought out. What happened in this situation? He talks to her directly. He didn't talk to her as an inferior. He didn't talk to her as though he needed to. Let me explain to you something. He said, he told, and he talked in language that to this day is tough to really get. He's saying, if you knew the water that I bring, you wouldn't drink anymore. She goes, well, tell me what that water is. He goes, it's everlasting water. She goes, well, give me some. They're going back and forth on an equal plane, not as though he's above her on an equal plane. The Bible is not sexist. The Bible is not, sure, the Bible makes very clear that there are roles that God expects people to have, but it's equals playing roles. It's not an inferior and a superior. It is equals on the same level that choose to follow a role given to them. So Christ, when he talks to them, we're going to jump to the 26th verse real quick and just see how this says. All these other men that have asked him, he has Nicodemus go to him, tell me if you're the Christ. You know what he said to him? You have to be born twice, once by the, the, by the water, once by the blood. Coded language. All people, tell me you're the Christ, tell me you're the Christ. Oh, we're going to start in the uh, 25th verse, sorry. And in the 25th, the woman says to him, I know that Messiah comes, which is called Christ. When he has come, he will tell us all things. Jesus says to her, I that speak to you am he. She's the only one that he straightforward says, I'm the guy. He doesn't, he just chose a woman. When, when Bartholomew and was coming to him and making, it's also known as Nathaniel, was coming to him and going, is this the Christ? Jesus was like, you know all things. Why don't you tell me? When this woman says, are you the Christ? Yes. I am. That's the only time, that's the only time that he's that forward. Because she can handle it. He knows. He's got, given her. He got past her barrier. He spoke to her heart. He's given her things that makes it to where she's, she's letting herself open. And then he doesn't play around. God does not play games. He plays for keeps. So when she said, are you the one? He said, yep. And what did she do? That's our our third point. Women cannot evangelize. That's a misconception. Even in a church where where they don't allow women to preach, that doesn't mean a woman can't evangelize. The term evangelize means to bring a message of God. 
You can bring a message of God everywhere you go. As a matter of fact, probably the least important place to bring a message from God is from behind the pulpit. The most important part place to bring a message from God is in your everyday life. By your everyday actions, by the way you exist in the world that does not believe what you believe. Women, even in a a church that would say, well, we're not going to have women preach. I believe most women shouldn't preach because it's a it's a waste of what they would be good at. What why shackle a woman behind a pulpit when she could probably be doing a whole lot better things doing other stuff that, that fits that she enjoys to do. Now, I'm sure there are women that love to would love to preach in that. I've heard some really good preachers in my time that were women. I'm not saying they can't. Just because you can doesn't mean or doesn't mean that you should. Just because saying, somebody's saying, well, maybe you shouldn't, doesn't mean that you can't do it well. The point is, evangelism is our lives. Just saying that, oh, a woman can, a woman can evangelize probably better than anybody, than anybody. A man usually has to try. A woman, it's usually in her nature. A man usually is more concerned with doing with work and doing things. Men are a lot more task-oriented. Women are a lot more to just do what needs to be done. Well, what needs to be done? Living the Christian walk as best you can. So, does the Bible say women can't evangelize? Women are like, no, it doesn't. Even in the place where Paul is saying, well, I don't want a woman to be preaching and in, in, in having authority over the men. Paul was addressing a direct situation that was happening in Ephesus at that time, where there were there were literally pagan temples where priestesses were going around doing all kinds of not great things for money and being in charge of their various little sects and their various little cults and stuff. And Paul is saying, listen, if that's a problem in your area, maybe you need to, avoid, to get away from that. That's sometimes the best way to live in society is to just look different. If everybody's dressed in a certain way, sometimes the best way to make a statement is to dress the other way. If, or just, and the, the greatest way to do it is just do your own thing. Just be you. Just be who you are. If you're different, you're different. That's what God made you. God did that for a reason. He didn't make you so that you could dress yourself up to look like somebody else. He made you so that you could be the person he made you to be. If you speak a little different, if you talk a little different, if you act a little different, if you're a little taller, a little shorter, whatever you are, God made you that way for a reason. He didn't make it that way so you could fit into a cookie cutter. He did that way so that you could be you. Nothing's going to reach the world quite like you being you. You could try to act like me. That's probably not going to help very much. You could try and act like Fred. Fred is the only Fred that's ever existed. It's not going to help very much. You need to be you. So when it comes to fitting into society, don't worry about it. Be you. It doesn't matter. What are you supposed to do? Evangelize with your entire life. Can a woman not evangelize? Well, let's continue to read along here where it says, it says here that in uh, 28 that the woman then left her water pot. So she was so excited, she just literally left her water pot where it went was. Went her way into the city 
and says to the men, to the men, come, see a man which told me all things I ever did, that I ever did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. And we're going to jump forward because this little section here. Where, then we're going to jump to 39, and it says, And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified. He told me all that I ever did. Sounds like an evangelist to me. And you want to hear something different about this evangelist than the others? He, uh, Fred made it as a point today. When Christ normally talks to somebody and does something, he tells them, go away, don't say much about it. Don't, don't, don't spread news about what I did. Just go live your life. He never told her that. He told her, I'll give you living water. And she said, I'll take it. She went off and evangelized. And most of the people in the city believed simply because of her testimony. Why? I'm going to tell you because there was a change. This was a woman who they couldn't even walk to the well with the other women because she was an outcast. There was a problem with her. And suddenly there was a change in her that they could see. Was it just that she had a different look in her face? Was it that she spoke differently? Was it that maybe the fact is the reason why everybody thought so bad of her was because she's an honest person. She always just told it like it was. And so guess what? People, oh, well, you're kind of brash, aren't you? You're kind of harsh, aren't you? Maybe then when she walked in and said, I found Christ, they said, well, she don't lie. So evidently she found Christ. She evangelized half a city by her self. And Christ had no problem with that. Mm-hmm. And the ones who didn't, they came out to him and said, hey, this woman tells us this. What do you say? And he said, she's telling the truth. And he talked to her and said, I'll give you living water. And they believed because of him. Sometimes you don't always get to reap. In that case, she evangelized half the city, but she planted a seed in the rest. She planted a seed in the rest. Sometimes that's all you're doing in life is just planting seeds. You'll never experience the harvest. You will just keep planting seeds, planting seeds, and it feels like you're losing because what you have no measurable results. But it doesn't matter. All you weren't called to have the results. As Christ says, some people reap, some people sow. And some people are never to know what their impact did. She probably she may have never even knew who she planted that seed to. But she was able to evangelize. And Christ had no problem. Why? She evangelized with her life, which is what Christians are supposed to do. The gospel. We say gospel. The word gospel is made up of two parts. It actually comes from the German word, Gott and spell. Gott is God. Spell is word. It means God's word. God's word spoken or lived out. Spoken or lived out. It's not us. It's not us. How freeing is it to know that it's not you? You're not going to get anybody saved. You're not going to not get people saved. It's the Holy Spirit that does that. It's not our job. It's your job to live. The Holy Spirit will take care of it. All you need to do 
is allow yourself to be the vessel that carries that living water to the people. That's the job of an evangelist. We are all evangelists with our life. Be willing to be the vessel that holds that living water that others can see. Unfortunately, in our society, we tend to listen to what people say and not read for ourselves. Or pay attention to what people do and not read for ourselves. If that's the case, then what are we to do? Do the best you can living out the gospel and leave the rest to God. Not our job, leave the rest to God. Live it out. Remember those three misunderstandings. Jesus is not okay with sin. Sometimes the best way, you know, I'd say most of the time, the best way is not to approach somebody by calling out their sin, but approach them with an understanding ear, a listening ear that listens to what they have to say. Use that. Allow the Spirit to give you the words to say. Sometimes you don't know what to say to a person, but sometimes you'd be shocked when you let yourself listen. You just know the right thing. You just suddenly maybe just say nothing and just give them a hug. You just find the right thing. The Bible is not sexist. People are sexist. People have problems. People do wrong things. God loves everybody equally. And we are all called equally. And as a matter of fact, if the Bible were sexist, it's got a really weird way of showing it when the only person that God, that Christ is willing to go directly and allowed to evangelize directly is a woman. And he did that before he sent out the apostles, by the way. At three, women can't evangelize. It's not true. We are a nation of priests. We are a kingdom of priests. We are all to evangelize with our lives. Why is it so effective? Because it has nothing to do with us. We do our job. That is to let this Holy Spirit do his. So the misunderstanding of the Bible is that we need to do something. We need to do nothing. Let the Spirit move.